All right, Matthew chapter 3. Here those Bible pages turn, man. First book of the Bible in the Gospels. Book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 13 through 17, the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible right there in front of you. If you don't own one this morning, that's our gift to you, the very Word of God. A fantastic gift on this fine Sunday morning. This weather is beautiful. When you get to Matthew chapter 3, say, Jesus paid it all. All right, upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord. And because we are thankful to God for his word, you can respond out loud with thanks be to God. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Well, we're glad that you're here today. We are in between some series, and we've got some exciting stuff coming up. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a sermon series through the New Testament book, Philemon. Exactly, right, exactly. That's the pages where in your Bible where they're still stuck together back there in the New Testament. And so we love the Bible here, so we just primarily teach through books of the Bible. And so I'm doing something today that I haven't done when I look back through my sermon notes um, that's been done in, in over three years. And so I'm sort of doing a topical message today on the subject of baptism. And the reason why I'm doing that is because today, between both services, we are going to be baptizing eight people today. And can we celebrate that? That's like awesome. It's so cool. And so a couple things. Um, if you're not a Christian, maybe peeking over the fence at Christianity, this is a great day for you to be here. Um, I admit it, oftentimes in the church we use language that we don't explain. And so we talk about like the blood and we say that we eat Jesus' body. And so non-believers are like, that's weird, man. What does that mean? And we do strange things. And one of those things is baptism. And, and oftentimes people don't know what that is. So if you're not a Christian or peeking over the fence at Christianity, today's a great day for you. You're going to learn about that. And then today is going to be a little bit more teachy than it is preachy. I mean, I'll probably still get fired up, angry, and yell at you a little bit. But what we're going to do today is we're going to bounce around through various uh, passages of Scripture. I have some Scriptures that, that I've put on the screen, but one of the things that we do here at Westside is we don't put a lot of the scripture on the screen, and here's why. We give you a Bible, and so it's fascinating, isn't it? When we go swimming, we wear our swim trunks. When we go golfing, we bring our golf clubs. When we go hunting, we spray deer urine on us and then go out into the woods, like, right? We, we use what we have, and for some reason, we think when we come to church, it's like, oh, sit here and feed me everything. I want you to be looking up the scriptures today. I, I want you to see in your Bible that this is what God's Word says about this. And so as we get started, maybe this will be helpful. Uh, many of you know for a couple of years, almost around five years, I worked as an in-house chaplain at Edwards Funeral Home there in Donovan. And so my job was to sit with families and to preach services for people who primarily didn't have a minister 
And so most of the time that means they didn't grow up in church. They, they, they didn't know anything about this. And so it was a great learning experience for me because you can read some things from books, but then when you're dropped into it, it's like, wow, this is pretty incredible. But as I learned about like the funeral process... I learned about something that's called a pre-need contract. And many of you guys know what I'm talking about. So uh, through life insurance and things like that, if you're preparing to die, which you probably should because everyone dies, happy Sunday, welcome to Westside, right? Real positive, okay? One of the things that they set up at a funeral home is called a pre-need contract. And basically what you do is you can pick out your casket, you can pick out flowers, the music, how the service should go, and all of that. And really at the end of the day... It alleviates the burden from your family so you can prepare and organize how you would like to be celebrated, how your life would like to be remembered. I use that as an illustration because Jesus actually did that for us. In the church, we call them sacraments or ordinances. You know, So if you grew up Baptist, ordinances, it's okay, right? Oh, you know what I mean? But these are the words that Jesus has given us to remember him and to celebrate his life. And the first one we find in the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's table. And Jesus taught us at the Last Supper with his disciples, he said, I'm going to die, I will be resurrected, and I will leave you, and the Holy Spirit will come, but do this in remembrance of me. And so we do that every week here at Westside. We, we take the bread that represents the body of Christ and it's broken into pieces because Jesus was broken for us. And then we dip it into the cup and Jesus says, this cup is a sign or a symbol of my blood, of the new covenant. And so we dip that bread into the blood and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus has given us. But there's also another one and it's called baptism. And when Jesus was resurrected, some of his last words to his disciples are found in Matthew 28. And Jesus says these words, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, we could just stop right there, right? (laughs) Any other questions in regards to the authority of Jesus? So he's resurrected and he says, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. The word disciples means learners. So make learners of me, people who will follow my way of life. Well, Jesus, what are these disciples supposed to look like? Well, number one, they're from all nations. And then number two, the sign of this is that they will be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then they will be taught to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he follows it up with a promise. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now, here's what's fascinating about this. Go on a journey with me. Through 2,000 years of Christianity, no matter what continent you're on, no matter what language, no matter where you are in the world, if you come across a church or a body of believers, there are two things that unites us, and that is the Eucharist or the Lord's table and baptism. And so check out some of these pictures. Like I look this week, that's some of the earliest ancient um, iconic stuff. And like, it was like on caves, icons in early churches of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And so even already going back about 2,000 years, one of the things that 
people identified as Christians was through baptism. And then check out this picture of a soldier who's actually being baptized by some chaplains over in Iraq. And then this next photo is of a rare baptism in India. And what's interesting about this is one of my friends who was a missionary went over to India and he was a part of a baptism service. And they had to walk eight miles away from the village in order for them to be baptized because they were in fear of their life because these people were identifying with Jesus and it was looked down upon. But then also in Iran, this next picture is of a mass baptism of over 200 people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. So we're in the army, we're in ancient Christian history, we're in India, we're in Iran, we're in all of these places, and then fast forward to about four years ago, and then this picture is of the very first baptism that we did when I became pastor here at Westside of Mr. Nick Murphy, and the heater was out in the baptistry. And the baptism was in February. And so, like, I told Nick, you'll never forget your baptism, bro. Like, you'll never forget it. And so when you look at that and and you see this, there's something ancient. There's something mystical about this idea that no matter where we are, no matter what continent, no matter what language, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what socioeconomic background, there are these elements that bind us together. St. Augustine, an early church father, put it this way about the ordinances. He said, the sacraments are the visible words of God. That's cool. Probably difficult to understand. So here's Jason's translation of that, okay? Here's what he's meaning. We hear the gospel through singing, preaching, and Bible reading. So that's what we just did before the service, right? So Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. So it's this idea that we hear the proclamation of the gospel through singing, through prayer, through Bible reading. We hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the elements and the ordinances, we literally see the physical sign of the gospel. Just like when we come to the table, we physically see the gospel present. Through baptism, we physically see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the identifier of what it means to be a disciple. So before we dive in today, I'm not going to be able to answer every single question that you have. I'm going to answer two primary questions. What is baptism and who is to be baptized? We're going to talk about some close-handed issues, some things that are very clear in Scripture, and then we're going to talk about some open-handed issues, some things where all believers across the world agree. We can probably agree to disagree on some of these things. I'm going to preach what I believe the Scriptures say. That's why I want you to have your Bible in your hand, and I'm going to teach what my conviction is, primarily because I have a microphone and you don't, and so I'm going to teach as to what my convictions are. But here's a couple things. Towards the end of the service, we are going to see people publicly profess faith in Christ. And so for some of you, I want you to be asking the question, do I have that moment? Have I been identified with Jesus that way? And then for some of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time and you've been baptized, I want today to sort of be like a wedding. And here's what I mean by that. When you go to a wedding and you're already married and you're sitting there and you're you're watching the ceremony and you're seeing the beautiful couple exchange vows, what do you do? You go back to your wedding. 
you remember, oh man, I was so nervous and I almost dropped the ring and I did all of this. But when those people engage in their covenant vows, it's almost like in a way you sort of renew your own. You sort of grab the hand of your partner and you say, yeah, we're in this together. So if you're a follower of Christ, I want today to be that for you. For you to renew this idea of what baptism is. So the first question is this, what, what is baptism? What is it? Well, let's start with the jelly on the bottom shelf. The word baptize that's found in Matthew chapter 3 here is the Greek word baptizo, right? And so baptizo means to submerge or dunk into water. Now, here's what's interesting about this. This word is not primarily Christian. Here's what I mean. Like the Bible didn't invent this word. So we have through ancient manuscripts of all sorts that when a ship would sink in a battle, we have Greek manuscripts saying that that ship was baptized. It was submerged into water. And then back in ancient days, and especially around Jesus' day, John, in our passage, being identified as John the baptizer, the very first Baptist in history, right? I don't know if that's true or not, okay? But back then, you only had a certain number of clothes. And if you were going to a wedding or a special event, you would take your clothes and have them dyed for the event. So they could be dyed purple, red, or green, or anything like that. And you would take them to a baptizer, and he would baptize your clothes. So he would take these garments, submerge them into dye, they would come out of the water and they would be a changed color. Now here in this passage, I could have started in a number of places with baptism, but I thought it would probably be a good place to start with Jesus. I don't know, that's probably a good place to start with anything, right? And so here we see John, who's baptizing there in the wilderness. And what John is doing is he's getting people ready for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. For Jesus has been prophesied ever since Genesis chapter 3. The Jewish people knew God is writing a story. The world is broken and he's sending a hero. He's sending a hero to come and to save all of humanity. And so John's job was to prepare people. These people were getting baptized as a sign of repentance. That I'm changing and I'm putting my hopes in this Messiah that is to come. And then Jesus hits the scene and I love the dialogue. He comes, and John says, bro, that's in the Greek. Bro's in the Greek. It's right there somewhere in the verse. And John says, bro, I don't want to baptize you. You're the sinless son of God. You need to baptize me, man. And Jesus says, no, let's do this now because it's fulfilling for all righteousness. So righteousness is a big word, right? So God forbid we come to church and learn a word. You know, a big word, so is mayonnaise and mocha frappuccino, but you use that every day of your life, okay? So righteousness means right standing before God. So question, was Jesus getting baptized to have a right standing before God? Well, no, he's the sinless son of God. He's coming to pay the sins of the world. So what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 3, check this out, this is crazy, If our baptism is identifying with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3 is his identification with us. Just let that sink in. Jesus was identified with 
sinners, it says in Isaiah, that he was counted among the transgressors. And it's also the inauguration of his ministry. And do you see what's happening here? So we have Jesus, he's there. And in the original Greek, it says when he was baptized, that the heavens were ripped open. And that a voice audibly said, and everyone around heard this audible voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and anointed Jesus. So this is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. So baptism is to submerge. Jesus was submerged to identify with us. But there's another point, and the first one is this. For us, baptism is confession of Christ. It's the confession of Jesus. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Turn to the right in your Bible, Acts chapter 2. I want you to be there so you know I'm not making this up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 2. What we have happening in Acts chapter 2, and by the way, this is really cool. Today, on the church calendar, is Pentecost Sunday, which is 40 days after Easter and the birth of the New Testament church. So Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he preaches the first Christian gospel message about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And people hear this message And then starting in verse 37, it says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart or convicted and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So interesting. One thing that we can already derive from this verse is this. That the gospel message requires a response from you. You cannot, if you are in here today and you are not a follower of Christ or not a Christian, you cannot hear the message of Jesus and leave indifferent. As Billy Graham used to say, some of you, right? You either accept them or you reject them. So the idea is that this message of Jesus requires a response. These people hear the message and they say, what shall we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to yourself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day... 3,000 souls. So a couple things. Number one, the proper response to the gospel message is an action. And Peter says repent, which means to turn. So oftentimes, maybe you grew up in church and you heard like the message of Jesus and the preacher was like, God loves you, but he really seemed mad about it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, God loves you, but I'm angry type of a thing. And the word repent almost has a negative connotation. And there is a little bit of negativity there because we have to understand that we were headed in the direction of sin. But repent literally just means to change your mind and to turn. So it's not just this idea of rejecting sin, but it's the idea of receiving Christ. So I'm heading one direction, not the band, one direction, but I'm heading one direction and then I turn a different direction. And the symbol or sign of that is baptism. But there's something else here. It's this idea that it's public. 
that it wasn't this secret society, right? Like, did you know that there are no double O secret agents for Jesus Christ? None. Like, a great insult should be in your life if someone ever says this phrase. Man, I had no idea that you were a Christian. Ah, oh no, right? Oh no. There's this idea that it's public, and we see this all through Scripture. So Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is a very famous passage of Scripture, and it says these words, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I don't believe that that's like a secret prayer. Like oftentimes we think being a Christian is saying the prayer that the preacher has said and then walking the aisle, you know, if you grew up Baptist, it was just as I am. And they played that till somebody walked the aisle. Some people walk the aisle just so you can go to lunch. You know what I mean? Like, let's wrap this thing up. But think about it. There's, it's not like the secret words. That's witchcraft, man. Like, an incantation. Repeat this after me and then zap. We believe that God does something in the heart. In the passage, it says they were cut to the heart, that the Holy Spirit does something. Listen, please don't ever miss this. To become a Christian and the new birth is supernatural. It is a gift from God. It is a miracle. To live the Christian life is the greatest miracle in the world. For Ephesians says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Colossians chapter 1 says that you were hostile towards God. And God pursued you. And he opened up your heart and your mind to the beauty of Christ. And so this idea, most scholars and theologians believe that Romans 10, 9 is what happens in the baptismal waters. It's the confession of Jesus. But Jesus also marks his ministry in Matthew chapter 10 about the idea of being public. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So here's what Jesus is saying. This, your salvation is personal? Yes. For if we had a microphone and we passed it around in this room and you talked about how you came to know Jesus and how God chased you, it would be different for every single person. Yes, your salvation is personal, but listen, your salvation's not private. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? We teach our kids this. Hide it under a bushel, right? Awesome, man, you guys are in the sermon, great. There's this idea of publicly confessing Christ. Maybe this will help. So in the day and age of social media, when it comes to baby announcements and gender reveal and all of this stuff, we announce it, right? So this was when Andy Grace hit the scene. Um, Roman was a little bitty guy, two years old, in his crib, and the sign says, roommate, what? No no vacancy, March 2014. Courtney took like 100 photos, bribed him with a sucker to make the face and all that stuff. But what's the announcement about? New life. We are announcing that new life has come and that it is on its way. First and foremost, baptism is the confession of Christ. It's the confession with my mouth, something that's happened in my heart, that new life has come. But it's not just that. The second thing is this. Baptism is also communion with Christ. 
It's being synced together with Him. Turn again to the next book of the Bible in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let me hear those Bible pages turning. I love the book of Romans so much that I named one of my kids after it. Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says this starting in verse 1. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul's answering a question. People were saying, well, if grace is so reckless and so scandalous, then we can live any way that we want to live. And it doesn't really matter because God's already forgiven us in Christ. And Paul said, so are we saying that we can continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, by no means. (laughs) Um, No, negative, by no means at all. Because grace motivates our life of obedience. Now, that's an important instruction and order. It's not that we obey and then we get grace. It's that God has already shown us grace in Christ, therefore it motivates our obedience. And then Paul breaks it down for us. Do you not know that all of us who have been, what's the word? Baptized into Christ. We're baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Man, listen, here's what Paul's saying. Remember, what does the word baptism mean? Baptizo, be immersed, to be dunked. So the symbolism is water that God has given us for that. And there's a ton of symbolism for that. The idea that when a baby is born, the idea of water there, you go all the way back to Genesis, God starts a new creation and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And what Paul is saying is, listen, when we die, we have died into Christ So listen, the gospel is not just forgiveness. Oh yes, that's true. It is true that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And when I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips they shall repeat. Yes, it is forgiveness, but listen, it's not just forgiveness, it is reward. So if this is true, then Colossians chapter 3 says this, that your life is hidden with Christ in God. So do you know what that means? Let's cross-reference that back to Matthew chapter 3. That at the baptism, I'm about to get excited, and if nobody else is excited, that's okay. But in Matthew chapter 3, what does God say over Jesus? What does He say? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So if the gospel is true and you've died to Christ and you've also been resurrected to Christ, then what God says over your life is you are my son and you are my daughter and I am pleased with you. See, a lot of us think that God has forgiven us, but he just doesn't like us or that he just has to put up with us. But the gospel is that you're not just forgiven, but that God actually delights in you and he rejoices over you and that he loves you and that he wants and desires the relationship with you. So this picture is an illustration that when they stand in the water, first and foremost, it's a symbol of the death, the old way of life. 
And then when they are submerged or baptizoed or dunked into that watery grave, it is the symbolism that Jesus died. Listen, that's not allegorical, okay? So there's a great movement like, oh, Jesus didn't really die and resurrect. It was symbolism. God's writing this story. We don't believe the Bible to be literal is what I think about that, okay? Jesus really died, and he was really buried into the grave. And three days later, praise be to God, he rose through the Spirit of God. And then Paul would have the audacity, the audacity to say, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. How crazy is that? To think that the promises of Scripture are actually true to your life. So when someone gets baptized, I say upon your public profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of His death. And then when they come out of the waters, the first thing that they hear spoken over them is, and raised to walk in the newness of life. The gospel is not just forgiveness, but it is also reward. So if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and God is pleased with him and bestowed upon him every spiritual blessing that there is and we are in Christ, then what is Christ's is yours. So why are you whining and complaining all the time? What are you sad about? If I hear another Christian whine and complain, I'm going to lay hands on him in the name of Jesus, man. You already have everything. You already have everything that's Christ's is yours. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says it this way. Your baptism is nothing less than grace clutching you by the throat. A grace full throttling by which your sin is submerged in order that you might remain under grace. Come then to baptism. Give yourself up to be drowned in baptism and be milled by the mercy of thy dear God, saying, drown me, throttle me, dear Lord, for henceforth I will gladly die to sin with your Son. So listen, today... When those people come up out of that water, if you don't cheer and clap, you're going on my list, okay? People walking with Jesus look like they got baptized in lemon juice, right? Right? We're a Christian, but we got to... Right? You better go nuts, man. This is supernatural stuff. God has given us the sign of what it looks like to have new life. So yes, it's confession. This is the doorway. This is the how. But it's communion. We are now represented with Christ. But it's not just that. It's also baptism is communion with the church. With the church. That's why we do this publicly. That's why we do this gathered with the body. That's why we have people invite friends. That's why we do this. And I'll give you a break. You don't have to turn there. But Ephesians chapter 4 says this. There is... One body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through it all and in all. So Paul's trying to make a point, right? One hope, one faith, one 
baptism into the church of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the wedding illustration, right? So when the man and the woman are being married, they are united. The two shall become one flesh, right? But that's not the only union that's happening because now they inherit each other's families. The in-laws, right? I say this all the time in premarital counseling. Listen, she may be cool, he may be cool, but if mama and daddy are crazy, you're marrying crazy, bro, right? That's just the facts, Jack. I mean, that's just it, man. Because the families are now one. You are now together. And listen, that beautiful, crazy, messy illustration and truth is the same when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. That when these people today stand here and they confess and the union of communion with Christ happens, they are also unified with the local church and the universal church. So the pictures that we've seen of the people in Iran and in India and ancient Christianity, we are a part of one entire family. So if I could put the jelly on the bottom shelf, what is baptism? Baptism is the physical sign of the spiritual change in Christ. That's what baptism is. It's the physical sign. It's the how. And what does a sign do, right? A sign is not something in and of itself. A sign points to something. So when you're on the road and you're looking for road signs, it is giving you directions of a destination. Baptism is the sign that God has given us. It points to the gospel. It is a way for us to physically see that. And then the second thing is this, who is to be baptized? Now we move to an open-handed. Everything else is closed-handed. Everything else I just said you don't mess with, okay? That is very clear in Scripture. The second thing is open-handed. I have very dear friends who've grown up Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, who've baptized babies, fantastic, awesome, great. I hold to a different conviction on that, and I'm going to show you that here in the Scriptures. Turn to Acts chapter 2 again and look at verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. I'm going to show you the precedence that the New Testament sets forth for baptism. So we see, verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children. So oftentimes people say very clear the promise is for the children. Most scholars and theologians believe that that children is of a spiritual heritage. That actually Peter is speaking about us. Because these are our early Christian parents. But let's follow it again. Jump up to verse 41. Those who, what his word? Received, another way would be believed or listened to his word, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So listen, I'm going to walk you through a journey through the book of Acts, okay? I challenge you, look at these verses yourself. Every time that we see baptism mentioned in Scripture, we see this category. So we see it there in Acts 2.41. The next one, it'll be up here on the screen. Acts 8.12. But when they, what's the word? believed Philip as he, what did Philip do? Preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were what? So there was a preaching that took place, correct? Am I, is it there? Are you, are you looking at it? 
There was a preaching that took place. There was a hearing. There was a repenting and a believing. There was a conviction. Then there was an action. And the action was to be baptized. You say, Jason, I hope you have more verses. I sure do. Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. Check this out. This is interesting. Philip preaches the gospel to the eunuch, right? You see that? But then the eunuch responds, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So let's connect the dots. Is it safe to assume that in the full presentation and in the full preaching of the gospel, Philip concluded with the response of the good news is to be baptized? I mean, I see it right there in the verse. And so it says, see, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? A lot of people think that was probably like a ditch on the side of the road. Could you imagine that in southeast Missouri getting baptized in one of our floodway ditches, man? Right? Mosquito infestation, bro. But it happens, man. There's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Do you see it? Opened his mouth. Preached. The eunuch believed. Responded. Through baptism. You're saying, Jason, I hope you have another verse. I'm glad you asked. I do. Acts chapter 18, verse 8. Cripus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So my Presbyterian friends say that entire household could include infants to be baptized. The problem is they don't read the rest of the verse. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Paul preaches the good news. People hear the gospel. They believe, they repent, and the response is to be baptized. The precedence that's laid out under my conviction through Scripture is faith and repentance precede baptism. They come before baptism. Now, I believe our God when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I believe that our God is a good Father. And I believe that He looks down upon His children. I believe that He is a just God. And many of you were baptized as an infant. Praise be to God for believing parents, man. Like, that's, that, like I commend that. I think that is fantastic. That is awesome. We don't require rebaptism here at Westside because I think that's ridiculous. I don't have that type of authority to lord over your life, right? But here's the deal. I'm going to challenge you with your Bible in your hand, right? We're going to walk through some passages, and we're going to look at what the Scripture lays out. So who is to be baptized? This is what I see. Those who have heard, repented, and trusted in Christ are to be baptized. We call it believer's baptism. Those who have repented, trusted, and turned. You say, Jason, what's the appropriate age for that? I don't know. Because here's what we want to do. You want me to put everything in boxes for you and make it very, very easy. And you have multiple questions right now. And the primary one is this. Jason, is baptism a requirement for salvation? 
does baptism save you? Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Or if you grew up with a charismatic background, does it have to be in the name of Jesus? And then do I have to speak in tongues after that and do all of that? Turn back to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Jump up to verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, jump, jump down to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Do you know what I don't see in that passage? Well, Pastor Jason, clearly what it says to the concordance and to the cross-referencing of Scripture is that we should probably do this first, and then clearly in the original Greek we should probably do... So when people ask, does baptism save you, this or that, listen, by grace you were saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but it is a free gift of God. But I'm going to answer your question with another question. Every time someone asks me that, I ask them this. Why do you ask? Because I think we look for loopholes in our sinful nature. And we want to find this excuse. Listen, the New Testament knows nothing, nothing of an unbaptized convert of Jesus Christ. And don't hit me with a thief on the cross, okay? Because the next time you're crucified next to Jesus, you don't have to be baptized either, okay? (laughs) Goodness gracious, man. See, that's what I'm saying. That's our sinful nature. My dad, um, before he came to Christ, looked like a lost member of the Beatles, man. I mean, he had a beard, long hair. Like, I mean, the guy was far away from Christ. And he had guys just constantly trying to convert him, but not really out of love, out of a methodical way, whatever denomination they were from. So if they were, you know, Pentecostal, they were like, brother, you need the baptism of the Spirit and speak in tongues. And then Church of Christ guys were like, oh man, you got to be baptized, go to heaven and all of this. And my dad gets saved under a Billy Graham crusade at home watching TV while my mom was at Emerson Street Church of God praying that my dad would receive Christ. And he came under conviction And that week on Wednesday, he was baptized at Emerson Street. And he went back to Emerson Electric. And it broke his heart because nobody rejoiced with him. What everybody did was critique his baptism. Well, was it this? Well, did you do this? All I see in Acts 2.41 is obedience. That's all I see. They heard the news. They heard that God loved them and was pursuing them and made a way for them and they repented and they were baptized. And maybe this illustration will help. Let's let's do this, right? We're going to go WWE with a steel chair today, okay? Let's say, thus saith the Lord, this chair will save you. When you sit in this chair, all salvation comes unto you. And do you know what we do with Bible studies and this and that? We, we measure the chair. We memorize the verse, thus saith the Lord, that when you sit in the chair, all salvation will come. And then we, and we study the chair some more. We see what ancient, what did the early church fathers say about this chair? Well, Augustine said, right? How do I show that I believe that the chair will save me? I get in the chair. It's obedience. So listen, a profession of faith without an expression of faith shows no possession of faith. I believe this chair will save me. 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. I believe that through His life, death, and resurrection that God has made a way to me and that all my hope is in Him. And the way and the sign of that is through the baptismal waters. So today, in just a moment, what we're going to see as the band comes up and leads us in a time of response is we're going to see people profess faith in Christ. In Jesus, because baptism is all about Jesus. It's the physical sign of the spiritual change in Christ. We're going to celebrate that. And then maybe some of you need to pray, ask questions. I've never gone through with that. I've never had that obedience. There's, that's a challenge that's set before you. But at the end of the day, we all rejoice because now we understand that it's confession of Christ, that it's communion with Him, that what Christ has, I now have. God hasn't just forgiven me, but He's rewarded me. He's adopted me. He loves me. He pursues me. He sanctifies me. And now these people are a part of the family of God. Alistair Begg, who's a famous preacher, tells a story. And he said that he had given a gospel presentation and responded for people just like Peter did in Acts. If you want to accept Christ now, come forward. We're going to do a spontaneous baptisms right now. Step out of the aisle, come forward and get baptized. And there was a man who had been attending his church, massively wealthy Wall Street guy, dressed to the nine every Sunday, Italian suits and the whole thing. And he had been coming and he had been sitting under the preaching and the proclamation of God's word stepped out of the aisle and he came forward to get baptized. And Alistair Beck said, we have a change of clothes. We have a t-shirt for you. We can do all of this for you. And the man said, no. I want to get baptized in this suit. It's the most expensive suit that I own. And Alistair Beck said, why? He said, because this suit represents everything that I loved in life. Myself and money. And today, it gets buried in a watery grave. And I'll never wear it again because what I now wear is Christ and Him crucified. That's what we celebrate today. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we're thankful for this time. We're thankful for those who are going to profess their faith in You. Those of us who have walked with Christ, may it be almost a renewal of the understanding for the Gospel for us as we see the gospel, as people come forward and respond with communion, and as we see the gospel through people responding through baptism. Have your way with us. Challenge those who need to be challenged and comfort those who need to be comforted. We pray this all in the mighty, in the holy, and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at and come forward and partake in communion today?